time you prayed the attributes of God over somebody else's life? When was the last time you said, God, you are total profound love and I want you to be that in so-and-so's life? When was the last time you said, God, you are totally merciful and so-and-so who I love, who I know you love even more, if you had a limit to your mercy, they have absolutely exceeded it. But God, I pray your mercy on their life. When was the last time you prayed God's attributes over someone? Do you know someone who needs God's love or mercy in their life? Today, Pastor Daniel teaches us how to intercede for others. Intercessory prayer starts with drawing nearer to God. We then stand in the gap and ask God to be God in their lives. Pray God's mercy, forgiveness, faithfulness, or His love into their life. Let's change their life forever by the power of intercessory prayer. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 18 as he continues his message, Visitation. Jesus is real. Is there anything too wonderful for God? Is there anything too hard for Him? Is there anything past what He could do? And we're going to see this played out in the life of a hopeless couple. A couple who for all these years, have not been able to have a child. Is there anything too hard, too wonderful for the Lord? Look what it says in verse 14. At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, don't you love, see, Sarah laughed. She got busted. I didn't laugh. Notice it says because she was afraid. Can I give you a piece of biblical advice? When you're afraid, don't talk. I have learned in my life that when I am afraid, the things that fall out of my mouth will always get me in trouble. See, she laughs because she's afraid, and then she tries to pretend like she didn't laugh. And there's nothing worse than when you get called out by the Lord, by His Holy Spirit in your heart. And you're like, I didn't do that. And the Lord's like, oh, yeah, you did. It's kind of a comical moment here. I did not laugh because she was afraid. No, but you did laugh. You know, as if God doesn't see what's going on in our lives. As if God doesn't know what is happening. Now, it's beautiful because in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, Sarah shows up by faith. This is Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. You know what the problem with walking by faith is? Is that you got to walk by faith. That's the problem with it. We live in a society that walks by sight. Like even, you know, because of the worldview that most of us have received growing up in the West in this time period, most of us base all of our beliefs on evidence, quote unquote. The scientific method, 
that we believe X because we have this data that points to it. Right? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't walk based on evidence, but this mind, this evidentiary mindset, the scientific enlightenment mindset, if you read the writings of philosophers, they see the issues with it because the reality is, is that even if we see everything, that doesn't mean we interpret everything properly. You could have all the right data and interpret that data in a way that's wrong. If you think about it in worldview language, the enlightenment was modernism. We can make a map out of everything. We can explain to you everything with data. And there was actually the belief that because we can do this, we are going to get all the answers and we're not going to need religion. There's going to be nothing wrong with the world. And that was the mindset. And now, a couple hundred years later, everyone says, well, listen, religion is just as popular, if not more popular now. We have all sorts of problems. And people are saying, you know what the problem with that way of looking at the world is? Is because it's assuming that the person making the map is totally objective. They are standing outside of the situation without any of themselves being put onto it. And the reality is, is that any good scientist will tell you that any of their findings are only 99.9% statistically significant because they can acknowledge that they don't know everything about everything. So when you read like The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, who's one of the foremost angry atheists, because he's a PhD, we think he's got weight to what he's saying. But if you listen or read his book and you hear him debate, he'll say things like, if there is a God, I for one would be very disappointed. And I say to myself, that is lousy science. Because you're not saying, I am open to the truth, whatever it may be. It's saying, I am a PhD, and I don't believe in it. And if it was true, I'd be disappointed. And when you're disappointed at an outcome, you are going to be biased in your research. That's basic logic. And post-modernity is, listen, you want to make a map, but you have to include your own biases in your map making. Really, post-modernity preaches the fall to evidentiary theory. And for those of you who like this kind of stuff, it's, it's in there. See, the problem with walking by faith is that you got to walk by faith. And Sarah had no proof. There was no way, no evidence that this was possible. But she said, look, I know that he who promised is faithful. And she received the strength to conceive because she believed not in herself and not in the evidence before her, but she believed in the God who made the promise. And the reality, the reality of biblical faith is this, is that if you believe that the God who promised is able to cleanse you from your mistakes, your sin, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, and you believe that he, by believing in Jesus, can fill you from the inside with his spirit, and his spirit will cleanse you from the inside out, if you believe that, it will be a reality in your life. Not because it makes sense, but because God is able to do what he has said he can do. And this is why, for me, as an educated, someone who didn't grow up in this stuff, American man, I can say it makes no sense not to believe in Jesus. Not because I can prove it to you, but because God who has done this is in the process of doing this in my life. And if you walk and talk to somebody who's truly begun to walk with Jesus, you will see the evidence right before your very eyes. But the reality is, is each one of us have to walk by faith. And I'll be honest with you, it can be 
really hard. Because God is asking you to do something that feels illogical. How can I believe such a thing? How can I believe that God could really do this thing in my life? Transform my life. Transform my marriage. Take me from where I am and change the way that I am. How is it possible? Nothing else has worked. Sarah was strengthened because she believed that him who promised it was faithful. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, God will be faithful in your life if you will trust him. He will be faithful. Now, from there in verse 16, it says this, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Now, this verse is very cool, and the rabbis make a lot of points about this because they would say that biblical hospitality means not only should you serve people, but you should finish that service well. They make the point that not only did Abraham do all this great service, but even walked them to the edge of his property. And I like that because I think for a lot of us, we begin well, but we end up killing the ending. I learned this as a jazz musician when I started learning how to play jazz. You know, I always heard, listen, if you start a solo well and you end a solo well, it's a good solo. And what that means is that if you start, you grab people in the beginning, and even if you have to meander for a little while, and if you end it powerfully, people will be like, yes. And it's so important for us. I realize that as we walk with Jesus together, that there's some of you right now who are doing great but you're going to get a little bit soft along the way. It's so easy to begin strong. But the Bible is a persevering faith. And we need to not only begin well, we need to end well. And I know for me as a, a younger pastor, and I've been in the pastoral ministry for 12 years, and I'm like, hey, it's been a great ride so far, but Lord, help me to finish well. Help me to keep on keeping on. Abraham serves them all. He's walking out with them. He's walking them to the edge of his property. Now, I like this in verse 17 because it goes on. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know it. Now, what's pretty awesome here is that as they're leaving, the Lord is talking to these angels. He's saying, shall I fill Abraham in on what's going on? And this makes me think of Amos chapter 3 verse 7, which says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. See, Abraham was in a position for God to share with him what is going on. And I want to encourage you guys because God wants each one of us to be in that kind of a place where we are in such relationship with God. As Abraham was called later, he was called the friend of God in the book of Isaiah. 
chapter 41, verse 8. Your friends, the people who you are closest to, will bear the secrets of their hearts with you. And would to God that each one of us would be in such a relationship with God that God can tell you things that he wants to be shared. That's not a special thing for special people. That is available to all of us in Jesus' name. If we build that relationship, I get to know things about Lynn that nobody else gets to know because she's my wife. And we talk, and I hear things in her heart, she hears things in my heart that nobody else gets, but she gets those things, and I get those things. And that's true for our relationship with God. It's beautiful because the Lord is talking. He's like, man, shall I fill Abraham in on what I'm up to? Because I'm going to bless him. He's going to be a great nation. And then in verse 19, one of my favorite verses, notice what he says about Abraham. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, I took this verse, actually, here at this church last year and did a whole message on this one verse. So I want to point you to it if you want to open up this one verse. Five purposes for the people of God right here in this one verse. So you can study that on your own. You can find it on our website. I'll leave you to do that as homework if you want. That's a pregnant verse right there. Powerful verse. But God is going to fill them in. Now, what's going on? Notice verse 20. This is why the angels are here. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Because their sin is very grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know it. The reason the Lord and these two angels are here is because they've heard about the grave sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they want to find out, is it really so? They're there to see firsthand what is going on with Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 22, it says this, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So now, of the three, two angels go towards Sodom, and Abraham stays with the Lord. It says in verse 23, And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? In verse 24, Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of the five? And he said, If I find there 45, I will not destroy it. In verse 29, then he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of the 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, 
I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, what's this all about? This is all about Abraham acting as an intercessor for the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is functioning in a priestly fashion here. He is standing before God for other people. This makes me think of something like James chapter 5, verse 16. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. I really wanted to end our message today as we look at this act of Abraham and encourage you all to be intercessors. Intercessors are somebody who stands in the gap for other people. Most of our prayer lives, if we're really honest, are pretty self-focused, aren't they? Not that we shouldn't ask God for the things that we want, but truly, if we really have the heart of God, which is what prayer is all about, I always tell people, people say, I don't understand prayer. I'm like, well, Prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. It's linking up hands with God to get his will done on earth. Abraham is not trying to convince God to do something that God doesn't want to do. Abraham is trying to ascertain and appropriate God's heart so that he can function. That's what he's trying to do. And the key to intercessory prayer says that Abraham drew near to God. So the act or the heart of intercessory prayer, it begins with someone who says, I want to draw near to God. I want to get close to God. Like the Apostle John in that upper room discourse where it says the Apostle John put his head on the bosom of the Lord, snuggling in to God. That's where intercession begins. And as Abraham draws near to the Lord, then he begins to ask the Lord what God is up to. And it really boils down in He knows that God is there and potentially going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham starts to ask him, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, would you do it? And the Lord said, no, if there's 50, I'd spare the city for the 50. And then 45, and then 40, and then 30, and then 20, all the way down to 10. Now, what's beautiful about this intercession is that Abraham's intercession is really a type of what I would call humble boldness. Abraham is not there saying, look, God, I just fed you. Now you owe me. Which is how a lot of us pray. We show up with an arrogance. We show up and I could say, Lord, I've been preaching your word. For 13 years, now give me this thing because I'm due. See, Abraham comes and he realizes, like, look, I'm but dust and ashes. I'm talking to the Lord. He keeps saying, Lord, who am I? What am I doing? Who am I? Don't get mad, Lord. I'm not trying to impose my way on you, Lord. And I love it because Abraham has a true, humble boldness. And really, there's no other type of boldness that is godly other than a humble boldness. A boldness that says, I can come boldly to the throne of grace, but yet I realize that the only reason I have a seat at this table is because of what God has done for me in Jesus. In each 
human heart, there is a wellspring of arrogance. All of us. Now, some of our arrogance plays itself out in bravado. Some of it plays itself out in kind of self-deprecation or self-humiliation. Some of our our arrogance plays itself out in an elevated view of ourselves, and some of our arrogance plays itself out in a really depreciated view of ourselves. But either way, the root is the same. It's just a matter of how it plays out in your life. And what I love about Abraham's intercession, not only does he have a bold humility, but Abraham's intercession is in accordance with God's character. He keeps appealing to God's justice and God's perfection. He's saying, Lord, won't the judge of the world do right? And he's like, Lord, if you judge and kill all the righteous with the ungodly, what are people going to say about you? Your character is this, and I'm asking you to function a long line with your character. When was the last time you prayed the attributes of God over somebody else's life? When was the last time you said, God, you are total profound love, and I want you to be that in so-and-so's life. When was the last time you said, God, you are totally merciful, and -and so-and-so, who I love, who I know you love even more, if you had a limit to your mercy, they have absolutely exceeded it, but God, I pray your mercy on their life. This is how to be an intercessor. You draw near, you stand in the gap before God, and you ask God to be God in their life. To be who he has proved himself to be and to do it for somebody else. What I have learned is that when you start to be an intercessor, you don't even need to pray for yourself anymore because all of your joy gets tied up in what God is doing in other people's lives. And that is the most fulfilling thing in the world. That you, as you serve the world in Jesus' name before the throne of God, You get so overwhelmed with all that God is doing, you're like, man, I'm just happy. I mean, I got God. What else do I really need? And everything becomes in its proper place. Its proper place. Abraham is being like Jesus, who ever lives to make intercession for the saints. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Abraham is linking up hands with the triune God to do God's will here on the earth. As we look at Genesis chapter 19, we're going to find out that there was only four righteous people in the city. And before God destroyed the city, he got those four out. God delivered before judgment. So in Genesis chapter 19, we're going to look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, especially in the day and age that we live in, there's all sorts of implications to this. It's a serious chapter. I know it's not the most light and fluffy of topics, but it is an important thing for us to understand. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel taught us that what God shares with us is dependent on our closeness to Him. Pastor Daniel showed us that God decided to share with his friend Abraham the things he was about to do. Pastor Daniel explained that drawing nearer to God, standing in the gap for others, and asking God to be God in others' lives are the steps to intercessory prayer. Let's intercede for others and watch God change their lives. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll hear Pastor Daniel teach about service through the words and actions of Lot with two angels and Sodom. Pastor Daniel will contend that we need to serve, but also be humble enough to be served. Pastor Daniel will contend next time with how God deals with sin. All sin is bad. One sin is not worse than another. We all need Jesus to clean us up and set us in a right place before God. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Patriarchs. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.